0: So, if you have heard me before, you know I went to school at Texas A&M back a long time ago. And we were in the Southwest Conference. And we used to play the University of Arkansas in football. And they were a unique bunch, their fans. Every school, they'd get a certain allotment of tickets. And they would have older gentlemen, now about my age. At the time, I thought, really, they're really old. But they would come in in a, a, a red sport coat, and a white shirt and a red tie with a hog hat on. Have you seen those hog hats, the plastic thing with a snout on it? Well, let me tell you, from the a and fans, there was a good bit of derision. Hey, nice hat, nice suit. But you know, they didn't bother, they were identifying with their team and a lot of times they would answer by calling the hogs. Sweet, that's what they did. Well, they stood out, they were different. And they're the object of scorn and derision. Well, it's kind of funny when it comes to football fans. But if you're going to follow Jesus seriously, and you're going to take him at his word, you're going to stand out. Just like the guy in the red suit coat with the white tie and the red tie and the hog hat. And we will be the object of scorn and derision. Because we've got a different value system. Where do we find the strength to keep facing that scorn and derision? Well, I want to talk about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Revelation chapter 10, we'll go through this passage and ask the question, where do we find the strength to face the, that, the rejection, the scorn, the derision? Pick your word. That it inevitably comes from following Jesus. Where do we find the strength to find the derision uh, to face the derision that comes from following Jesus. If you've been with us, you know we've been in the book of Revelation for a while. Let me give a quick overview. First nine uh, verses, uh, God tells John, hey, I'm gonna communicate a message to you, to the angel Jesus, to you, in, in symbols. I'm gonna give you a symbolic message. Think of a, a political commentator using a political cartoon. I wanna get a message to you But this is not for speculation and to try and put a puzzle together about end times. No, this is a prophetic word. We understand prophecy primarily is telling us how to live in our world. And the people that are getting this message were under great pressure from the Roman government to worship the Roman emperor as God. And so chapters 1 through 3 are a message to seven churches specifically, Words of affirmation and words of challenge about what they needed to do. Then chapters 4 and 5, John is caught up in the vision again in heaven, and he sees things in order in heaven. Everybody's worshiping God as it should be. But that isn't the way it is on earth. And so a scroll is revealed that will enact God's plan of vindication of the righteous and judgment of the unrighteous, but there's seven seals on it, and no one has the authority to open it until Jesus Chapter six then begins the opening of that, and, and chapters six through 16 are a series of seven judgments. Seven seals give way to seven trumpets, which will give way to seven bowls that move heaven to earth. Then chapter 17 is God deconstructing everything that stands in his opposition. Chapter 19 is his final battle between good and evil. And chapters 20 through 22, we see God bringing in his kingdom. So we are in the middle of that second series of judgments. We've had the seals. We've had six of the seven trumpets, and we're waiting for the seventh trumpet, but we're in an interlude. So that's where we are in chapter 10, and that's where I want to pick up. Here's what it says. It says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. This is a resplendent angel, magnificent. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. We believe this is God's plan of vindication for the righteous and judgment for the unrighteous. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. He cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I reversed, ah, uh, from heaven saying, no, no, no. Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Some things are for God alone. God reveals himself in his word truly, but not fully. Some things, no, John, don't write that. Verse 5, then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and, and things in it and the earth and things in it and the sea and things in it, that there will be delay no longer. Delay of what? Delay of God's final judgment. So with the seven seals, a quarter of the earth was affected by war and famine, and pestilence. The reason God doesn't wipe out the whole earth is he's hoping to get people's attention. I mean business. So a quarter of the earth is affected. People don't repent. So then we have the trumpet judgments. With the trumpet judgments, a third of the earth. Remember, the grass is burned up, and the the drinking water is taken, the fishing industry is taken, and and so it goes. And, And a third of humanity is killed in the trumpet judgment. Well, why not all of it? Because God is patient, and he's wanting people to repent. But we saw in chapter 9, people weren't repenting. So what this is saying, with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, God's final judgment is coming. There will be no delay. Now, as a kid, I shared a room with my younger brother, and we would fight, and we would fight at night. And my dad would yell up, and he would yell up, and he would yell up. And at some point, it's like, I've had enough. And that, he would stomp in that first stair. It was like, we're not going back. He's coming up so it is. God said, I've been calling, and I've been calling, and I've been, I will delay no longer with the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. The, the understanding of how God's plan is going to unfold as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Verse 8, then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go. Take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said, take it and eat it. And this is, happened with the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Israel had gone into captivity in Babylon. God sent Ezekiel as a prophet to those people. They weren't very happy. And he said, I want you to take this scroll, this book, and I want you to eat it. I think it's a form of internalizing it. And once we internalize it, participating in this message, which Ezekiel did and which John will do. He said, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Do you, have you heard the word bittersweet? This message, John, that you're going to internalize you're going to participate in personally it will be bittersweet and we'll talk about why so i took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it and in my mouth it was sweet as honey and when i had eaten it my stomach was made bitter And i want to talk about the bitter we begin to see the bitter starting in verse 11 and they said to me you must prophesy again concerning i think a better word would be there against concerning the state of the nations they're not good it's kind of you need to change you need to repent you're going to be concerning against many peoples and nations and tongues and kings why is this message bitter because god speaks forth the message and he acts things out and you know what the world doesn't repent a quarter of the earth a third of the earth and people won't repent you will see that with your neighbors and friends. They will hear it, and they're not interested. But there's a second reason. It's bitter. And I think that's the reason this book is being written. You will suffer. You intend to represent Jesus. You intend to live out his values. You're su- you'll suffer. Like the guy, 50,000 fans, 60,000 fans, Aggie fans at Kyle Field say on the campus of Texas A&M and you're walking in with a hog hat and a white shirt on you're going to stand out. You're going to be different and you're going to be the object of scorn. A little bit of a spoiler alert, but here's what's coming in the future in the next chapters. Chapter 12 is going to reveal a dragon symbolic of Satan. What's going on? This tension between the government and the Christians it's deeper than the government Satan is behind that. And what we'll say is, Satan, there was a cosmic battle in the heavens, and he lost. And he was thrown to earth. And this is the same Satan that was the serpent in the garden. And he is taking his anger, his defeat out on God's people. In the church age, with the coming of Jesus, that has intensified. Chapter 13, as we move towards the end, we will find out Satan will raise up two beasts. One will be the head of the world government. And he will look like he has recovered from a fatal wound, like he's eternal. Then he will have a lieutenant that will demand that we take a mark, people take a mark of reverence to him. And if we don't, we'll lose the ability to do commerce. We'll lose the ability to function in the economy. There is deception and there is intimidation coming on God's people. Now, some people say, well, the, the book of Revelation is about the timing of when we get out of that, that God pulls us out. I see nothing, nothing in the book of Revelation that talks about us getting out. In fact, I, I see that as the opposite of it. The message of Revelation is you stand clear. To those seven churches, you stand strong because I am sufficient. Some Christians build, every time there's something difficult, oh, it must be near, All oh, the rapture's coming. I don't see it even explicitly taught in the New Testament. All Bible, most Bible scholars will agree, no passage talks about the rapture of the church and the timing of that in relation to Jesus' return together. In fact, there's one passage in the New Testament that talks about the church being lifted up. And it's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. We won't turn there. But the occasion for that passage is the Thessalonians are wondering, what about those who died in Christ and and Christ hasn't returned? And Paul said, I don't want you to worry about them. When Jesus comes back, the dead will be raised first, then will be raised up to meet him. You know what? It says nothing about the timing of the tribulation on that or the end times. It says nothing about that. So when we're raised up to meet him, are, are we going back up into heaven for a period of tribulation? Or are, are we doing that and simply coming back because Jesus is setting up his kingdom on earth? I think there's reasons for that passage to think it's the latter, that we meet Jesus at the end of time when he sets up his kingdom. But where you fall on that, I get concerned when Christians say, oh, it's, it, it, the, the end times have to be near, we're, we're about to get out. I don't think that's the hope that's put forward in the book of Revelation. The hope that's put forward is the sufficiency of Jesus. In fact, right before he we went to the cross, in John 15, Jesus talked about the fact that we would be persecuted, John 15, 18 through 20. Here's what Jesus says. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So, so the implication is you will be hated, but don't, don't worry, I, 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 it hated me before it hated you. Uh, If you were of the world, and remember, these seven churches are not of the world. They're not buying their value system. They're saying no to the Roman Empire. I won't worship. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, seven churches and church today, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and I'm not pulling you out. I'm leaving you in there with a different value system. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There's no exception. Oh, but there's now for a certain group. No, 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 no. For all followers of Jesus. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So Jesus' word to the church is I'm sufficient. And when he addressed the seven churches individually in chapters one through three, before he addressed their certain issues, he said, remember, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Remember, I'm the one with the the feet of bronze. I'm strong enough. Remember, I'm the one who has the keys of death and Hades. He, He held out the sufficiency of himself in their circumstances. The message to that church is the message to us today. I'm sufficient for whatever you will face john himself who received this vision was the target of persecution remember he was one of the original 12 disciples judas left that left 11. by the time this book is written 10 have been martyred john's the only one living and he has been exiled he has been banished to the island of patmos many of us felt the loneliness of 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 the the pandemic the separation well that's that's john's existence you live by yourself Jesus didn't promise him an out, but he promised him, I'm sufficient. Here's what he said, John 1, or Revelation 1, 17 through 18. John has seen Jesus, and he said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on on me, saying, Do not be afraid. Whatever you face, do not be afraid. Why? I'm the first and the last. And the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. So I have the victory over death. I have the keys of death and of Hades. The Roman government does not have the final authority over death. I do. So John, you can live out, do not be afraid because of who I am. See, we're wrestling with this question. Where do we find the strength to find the inevitable derision that comes from following Jesus? Here's what I'd say. We find the strength to find the derision that comes from following Jesus in Jesus. We find the strength to deal with the derision, the contempt, the persecution that comes from following Jesus in Jesus. And that's what he is rolling out to these seven churches, and that is what he is speaking to us. I am sufficient. And what he promises these churches, and he's promising us, if you will be faithful, if you will follow me, there's a day I'm coming back, I'm gonna bring new Jerusalem. I'm going to restore the, 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 the creation that was wrecked in the fall of the garden. I'm going to restore that, and I'm going to make that right. And he said, you know, he gives details of this in Revelation 20, 21, and 22. We're not even going to need the sun and moon because he's going to be there. He's, he's going to be sufficient for light. So there's all kinds of details. He talks about streets of gold, and that's the picture of the purity. But I just want to point out two verses of what that kingdom looks like. Uh, Revelation 21, 3 and 4. This is John speaking about the new kingdom the restored heaven and earth, said, I heard a voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God, the presence of God is among men. And he will dwell among them. He's going to be there. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. God is going to be among us. And what's going to happen? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain The first things, the product of sin, they've passed away. Church, if you will remain faithful to me, you will not renounce your testimony. That's where I'm taking you. That's the promise. That's the hope. One of my jobs as pastor is to come alongside families who who have a loved one who is terminally ill. I gotta tell you, In those moments, the truth of Revelation 21, 3 and 4 is all you got. This mom, this dad, this grandma, this grandpa, this son, this wife, this husband is passing away. Best case, he or she dies. If that's it, that's really bleak. That's really hopeless. But since... Revelation 21, 3 and four is true. That's full of hope. This is just a blip passing to the new kingdom. Church, that's what I'm holding out. When you face persecution, when you face derision, when you're looked at like that Arkansas fan walking into the stadium, man, you stand out, you're really odd, and you're really being targeted. Jesus, said, I am sufficient. That's the sweet. Remember, bitter, sweet? That's the sweet part of this message. But here's the deal. In the interim, we are living in a world of deception. Before he wrote Revelation, John wrote uh, a letter to some churches. In 1 John 2, verse 18, he said this. Children, it's the last hour. The last hour is the time between the first and second, com- second comings of Jesus. And just as you have heard the antichrist's comings talk about the end times, even now, before the end times, many antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. There's deception going on. Jesus is not worthy of your trust. You're living in deception, and you're living in intimidation. That is the church age. That is the last hour. And if you pr- pr- talk about Christ, if you this, if Jesus, you this, we will take your job. We will take this. And, and, and uh, trust me, there are people overseas, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. It's their life. You will be thrown into prison you will lose your family. And Jesus said, yeah, whatever it is, I'm sufficient for that. There's my question. How connected are you to Jesus? How fresh is Jesus? Oh, I got saved, Andy. Oh, that's great, I'm glad you did But no, 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 right now, how real is Jesus to you? I had a friend who used to say Andy, do you have a fresh word from Jesus? I, have you heard anew from him recently? Like many of you, I've been um, maybe mortified, fascinated, and impressed with the Ukrainians in, in what is going on. I, I, their, their bravery stands out to me. Before the invasion six weeks ago, I could not have told you the, the name of the president. Volodymyr Zelensky didn't know it. But man, that guy's everywhere. And he's speaking to the soldiers. And man, we are not going to give up. We're going to defend our land. And I remember early on, the US talked about, hey, we can get you out. He said, man, I don't need a cab. I need a gun. We going to defend our land. And I think that man gives those soldiers and those citizens courage. I may lose my life, but I'm not going to give up my homeland. I think Zelensky is key. No wonder Russia wants to take him out. Well, we have a Savior even greater. He ain't going to be taken out. He's with us all the time. And he strengthens us. He empowers us. And makes us believe whatever the cost, it's worth it because of Jesus. How current are you? How connected are you right now? with Jesus. The deception, the intimidation that we see in Revelations coming. We're gonna live it, we're in it. But Jesus is sufficient. Are you connected to him? Perhaps the most humbled I have been, my Christian life was the summer of uh, 1988. It was my second summer over in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, And I had the chance to meet some Turkish believers who had been beaten for their faith. Never met anybody like that. These young men, they taken a rubber mallet to their feet because they were Christians. And, and interesting, Turkish law had uh, freedom of religion, but the police didn't know that, and they'd go to court and they'd win the case, but it's a, oops, so, so sorry. Uh, and they were in the midst of going through that, and you don't know when you're going to get out of it. And these guys' answer was, Jesus is sufficient. I had one of the Turkish believers tell a friend of mine. He didn't tell me. I had a dream last night where Jesus walked into my heart. And that's enough for me. You know, as an American over there, I mean, they they knew what we were doing. But they wanted ties with the West. They wanted better trade, better relations with the U.S. So one Turkish believer said, look, no one's going to put you in prison. No policeman's going to beat you. Don't, don't murder anybody. Don't run drugs. You're going to be fine. The worst they'll do is kick you out of the country, and then you can come right back in. I thought, man, that, I, I got a pass. That, this isn't a bad gig. But for those Turkish believers, there was no pass. There was no thing. It was just Jesus. He's sufficient for whatever you'll face. Are you connected? Are you fresh? Are you current with him?